0: Hey guys, if you've been enjoying eSports Boom, uh, please do us a favor, rate us on iTunes, five stars, or write a review. We would really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Welcome to a new episode of eSports Boom, your weekly eSports business wrap-up podcast. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anton Ferraro. Anton, how are you doing?
0: Doing very good. Um, I think that, you know, the LCS got jealous of all the coverage we've been giving to the OWL and decided to be like a much bigger deal this week.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is a Thursday where we're supposed to record on Wednesday and so much news came out today that we probably made a correct choice by waiting.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's, let's dive right into it. We're going to give a quick overview of everything that has happened so far with the LCS franchising, and then we're going to go through each story one by one quickly. So um, the NALCS for 2018 has three new teams. Those three new teams as of right now, and these are all rumors, are the Cavaliers, the Warriors, and Optic Gaming. Um, some of the teams that were already in the LCS are staying. The teams that are staying and, and have rumored to, be, to have been approved are TSM, Cloud9, Team Liquid, FlyQuest, CLG, and Echo Fox. And the teams that have been um, you know, removed from the LCS or did not pass the application process are Dignitas, Immortals, Phoenix One, and Envy. And if you've been keeping track, the current number is that there are nine teams that have been accepted into the NALCS. And there's one more team that uh, will be announced um, or, you know, will probably leak in the next week.
1: So I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of the teams uh, and we're going to say what we think about it. Like, why did they get accepted? Why didn't they? What does this mean for the road that that the NALCS is going for? So the first two teams actually, because they were reported at the same time, are Phoenix 1 and Team Envy. Important to note is that Phoenix 1, as far as I know, does not have the same level of investment that Team Envy has.
0: But they are also reportedly managing the Crunkies Overwatch team, which is the Gladiator. So it might be an Overwatch conflict.
1: That is indeed true. Um, I think but i think we'll get later to why with yeah. another team to why that might be a, a really big issue but team envy was a surprise not a shock
0: i was surprised at envy i mean I, i'm you know i think you heard me clucking my tongue a little bit earlier about uh envy and i feel that envy has a strong brand they have had i think only one year in the nalcs i think they did okay they had the financing And I honestly feel that out of the four teams that were, uh, denied from the LCS, Envy, in my opinion, Envy, I guess, and Immortals are in one tier and then Phoenix one and Dignitas are in another tier, but I, Envy, Envy, I was kind of personally hurt by, I really love the team.
1: Oh, yes. It's a great team. I think probably is that their brand when it comes to League of Legends, they're relatively new. So they have a huge brand in general, but I think what the NALCS is also looking for is
0: brands that are particularly strong in league. No, I I, I agree with that. I think what there wasn't a, uh, enough forward thinking thought is that you accepted optic, but you kicked out envy. And when you build a sports league, what you want is you want rivalries. You want the Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees. You want the New England Patriots versus the Giants. And one of the biggest rivalries in esports is the rivalry between OpTic Gaming and EnVyUs, and it spans across multiple games. And to not have that rivalry exist in LCS, I think that was a big loss.
1: Both EnVy and OpTic will be the two Texan spots in the Overwatch League, so that's a really big plus for the Overwatch League because if you're an EnVy fan, there are tons of EnVy fans, and even if you're an OpTic fan that doesn't watch Overwatch... You might consider watching just for that big rivalry game.
0: Absolutely. So, what do you think about the Immortals situation?
1: So, the Immortals—that's the biggest shock, in my opinion. For people who don't follow the NALCS, Immortals actually made it into Worlds, uh, which is the biggest world championship for League of Legends. They weren't the the strongest team because North America is notoriously um, not as good as as well the. Korean teams primarily.
0: North America in, at Worlds for LCS is like Team USA at the World Cup. You know, you always <laughs> cheer for them, but they tend to disappoint you.
1: Yeah, um, although I, I would I would like to argue that's from to 2018 that might be completely different when we have franchising. Yeah. Immortals is the biggest shock because they have an extremely strong brand. People have been saying that, you know, they've been hiring some credible hires. They... They hired uh, some former traditional sports people, people that worked in the NHL, people that worked in the NFL, people that worked for agencies. So they have a team that knows business. They are as good financially as a lot of other teams, although one of the reasons that Jacob Wolf quoted as to why Immortals did not make it was because of their finances, that their last two years they had... Uh, they operate on a loss or a big enough loss that it that it didn't make sense for him to be in the NALCS from Riot's perspective. But their brand is undeniable. And if you are a current NALCS fan, not even an Immortals fan, you're going to miss this team tremendously.
0: No, I think that they were a very strong brand and uh, it's unfortunate to see them go. Um, if I had to put my speculation hat on, I'm going to say that there were three strikes against the Immortals. Um, one, uh, was the reason that Jacob Wolf reported, and if we read into that a little bit, you know, if you're operating at a huge financial loss, what you're doing is you're also increasing the prices of the ecosystem. And what you're seeing is players, uh, requesting higher and higher salaries. Um, you know, the cost to operate in the LCS is skyrocketing. And if there's organizations who don't care about profits, you know, it makes it harder for everybody else. And that includes Riot. Um so you know you don't you kind of want to end the speculative bubble and you want to try and steer the industry in a direction where you know it's a profitable one. Um so you try and guide uh you know teams in that direction as much as possible. That's one. Um I think two is that they were in the Overwatch League and I think some teams have been able to successfully negotiate franchising for both leagues. I think Optic Gaming is one of those. Uh, but other for other ones like Envious and Immortals, you know that was uh, one of their strikes that um, worked against them in terms of getting into the NL- LCS. And if I had to guess, the third one is that um, they are operating. Uh, their biggest partner is AEG, who is a venue operator, and unlike the OWL the NALCS has a studio. Well, no, they, they both of them have a studio, but the NALCS hasn't really branched out into something like regions. That won't
1: the, be. At least there are no current plans.
0: Right. And if all of a sudden, you know, you have somebody who is the biggest operator of LA venues trying to come in at an angle that's you totally unique to them and totally unattainable by the other teams, um, you know, that's an unfair advantage in, for the NALCS ecosystem. You don't want the biggest operator of LA venues um, involved in a situation where... I mean, I don't even know how to paraphrase that. How would you describe what I'm trying to say?
1: Well, one thing I think that has partly to do with what you were doing, but not completely, is the fact that both Phoenix One, as you were saying, there are rumors that they're going to run the the one of the LA franchises. And then the second LA franchise is... Uh, bought by immortals so that is not good for the alias N-A-L-C- or they consider it to be a not a conflict of interest but they consider it to be a direct competition because if you're going to put your resources behind the overwatch league at the time where maybe your team is playing in the nlcs at the same time you know what are you gonna what are you gonna scream out the most what are you what are you gonna ask your fans to watch and it becomes kind of a conflict of interest, specifically when you're talking about region-based, when you're talking about LA team uh, versus an
0: LA-based operation that's an NALC. Right. So, Okay, I guess if we had to paraphrase it, if part of the Riot business model is to operate live events themselves, they, uh, an operator who comes in and will be petitioning to run their own events is a conflict. And Riot has previously chosen to keep everything in-house themselves, when they divested of um, white label operators like MLG, ESL to a large degree, um, the IGN Pro League when uh, back in the day, so I think that is where um, you know the business model of Immortals came into conflict with the NALCS franchising model. So Immortals is the
1: biggest shock, at least from teams that were declined. Yes, but then there are two teams that were a big shock from a acceptance position and those are the golden state warriors and the Cavs, both nba franchises actually we talked about the golden state warriors in our last podcast but i, I
0: yeah. believe they already have some uh one of their managers has an ownership stake in team liquid is that correct
1: yes you're completely right they have a they have a part ownership in, in axiomatic if i'm correct which owns part of, a large part
0: of team liquid which owns a controlling stake in team liquid
1: Yes. This week was announced that the Cavs, well today actually, that the Cavs now have a franchise in the NLCS and they're going to hire Nadeshot, a Call of Duty legend, a streamer personality to run their managerial ops, which is pretty surprising. I wonder... Anton, with your background in Call of Duty, I'm sure you're familiar with Nate Shot. Like, what are your thoughts on this?
0: So I love Matt. Uh, Matt has been around the block in esports many times. You know, he's very well versed in the industry. Um, he's gone through multiple different contract negotiations and different situations, and he has survived, which is definitely admirable. And he has thrived. Um, he has a very strong brand. He has something. Mil- he has millions of followers on Twitter and on YouTube he was part of optic gaming he was a part owner of optic gaming and then uh, divested himself of it and started his own brand which was 100 thieves um 100 thieves had marginal success but you know it was something that you know he has experience in trying in being part of a team being a part owner of a team and trying to start up his own team which is valuable he had he brings a certain amount of clout with his social following and i think he's authentic to the space the thing that's interesting is with Optic Gaming now in the NALCS, uh, the Cavaliers with the addition of Nadeshot set themselves up to be the rivalry against Optic Gaming. It's two new teams, um, and the management and you know the social personalities behind it are aware of each other and have storylines. So I think that's valuable.
1: It's very valuable. I mean, the big the big elephant in the room is he has no league experience, but it was I'm sure that they're gonna hire some some. Business people, some managerial staff that knows the LCS well, that has experience. Maybe some a coach that can help him with the with the actual staffing. Managerial ops, obviously, it's a it's a random title because he's he's. I don't think he's going to be the day to day League of Legends person. I think he's going to be more of a strategic guy that looks at the brand of the team. Arguably, it's going to use his his cloud, like you said, to drive traffic. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that. A higher, like, Nate nature shows that the Cavs have bigger plans than just... That was going to be my
0: follow-up question. With these new teams, like the Warriors, the Cavs, um, do you anticipate them expanding into other games? I don't know about the Warriors.
1: The Cavs... So the Cavs, they are, um, their owner already has some hands in esports indirectly. So Courtside Ventures, which is a VC firm which... The owner of the Cavs is a large investor in is an investor in wave dash which
0: okay yeah
1: which is a, an esports specific um game that's coming out pretty soon it's a it's it looks a lot like super smash and then also uh Quartz Adventures ventures actually looked into investing in i think team liquid and another team but said that they wouldn't do it so here's a th- i i know uh Deepin Parikh, he's, he's a partner at Course Adventures. I know him well, and I know that there aren't a lot of people who have a finger on the pulse when it comes to anything sports tech, which I consider esports to be part of because it's, you know, digital native. So they know esports, and I'm pretty sure that they have bigger plans than just League.
0: No, I mean, it seems interesting. Okay, they've diversified their portfolio into owning a team. In the NALCS, which is considered right now the best ROI, I mean, comparatively, we'll see how the OWL does, but the NALCS seems like a safer bet. And they've invested into a game. The Wave Dash guys are brilliant. They have tons of experience building games. They know their community. And the FGC is a great niche that, you know, I don't think has been tapped into that well from the perspective of games as a service. You know, the only games as a service model that I feel is successful right now is probably Injustice. Everything else has had marginal results. But yeah, and then let's talk about the third edition, Optic Gaming. What do you think about that one?
1: I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I think Optic Gaming somehow came out. um, Slasher was tweeting about this earlier on top of everything. They are in the OWL. They are in the NALCS. They have a CSGO team. They have a Dota team. And what is the fifth game that I'm missing right now? There was the top five esports games. Um, It'll come to us. I think COD, maybe, but it was another game. But it's, you know, Optic Gaming did really well for themselves.
1: Hector and his team are the best out there when it comes to building a brand. They have managed to get the kind of 15 to 20, 25-year-old market really well, uh, particularly through their YouTube videos. Each and every one of their players is a brand themselves. Very similar to if you look at like, the YouTube houses, that a lot of these YouTube content creators live in, they have basically recreated that for eSports.
0: Well, I don't think they recreated it. I think they created that.
1: Are, yes, you can argue that. But they are... So each and every person has a storyline. They're intermingled with, with players from other teams. All of a sudden, they're buddies. So it gets you more into the stories of the players and it's t- Optic as a whole. A Greenwall fan, which is the, the, the nickname for Optic, if you're a Greenwall fan for, for Dota or for Call of Duty when they're f- playing in the international, you're going to root and you're going to watch it just because that, that brand is so strong. Specifically, if you're planning on building an Overwatch League brand, which you have to rebrand yourself so you can't use the, the Optic Greenwall brand, I think it's, it's, it's from all of the teams, it's going to be the easiest for Optic because they already have such a massive fan base. But if you're going into the NA LCS, and you can use your existing rent to leverage that and gain new fans, out of all the three new entrants, I think the biggest force to be reckoned with is Optic.
0: Yeah, I think... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the NA LCS makes Optic rebrand for it, um, which would be, you know, unfortunate from a Greenwall fan perspective, but understandable from riots. Um, but yeah, no, Hector did an incredible job. Um, I think the other thing that he should be commended for is... Um, If you look at the career of an esports athlete, a lot of times these guys will play for their teams and then their teams will kind of cut them loose after uh, their performance goes down. Hector has kind of kept a lot of his guys on board at the gaming house and pivoted them or evolved them into just pure YouTube creators. So where other esports teams have basically just, you know, severed ties with players Hector's players have stayed as part of the OpTic brand and they've become these like you know um gathering points for fans that you know OpTic isn't losing fans it's continually gaining fans and just
1: to um to go on that, so if you're a traditional sports team, even if you're an esports team, particularly a traditional sports team, the most important thing for you when investing in esports besides the obviously ROI based on franchising is the creation of content. Mm-hmm. These teams, all these traditional sports teams, they are eager to create content. They have content teams that are doing nothing a couple of days a week when a team isn't playing, when a team isn't doing anything that's necessary, but they want to create more content.
0: So here, here's the thing that I think is going to be a painful point for these traditional teams. They're going to come into these situations with the perspective and the experience of creating content for the NBA. And I think that the model for esports is totally different. And the expectations of esports fans uh, in terms of how esports pro athletes communicate with them is different than traditional athletes
1: agreed but i do think there is a place for the storytelling aspect meaning knowing a little bit more i think optic gaming is an, is an exception because of the person-to-person style of vlogging that they're doing where you're literally see you you see when they when they eat you see when they talk with their friends you see when they use the bathroom so that's too that's very very personal but if you're taking a immortals approach, which is more professional esque looking, then it, they can really value the team aspect or value a professional production when it comes to telling of the stories. Because a lot of these players have very interesting stories. The type of content creation, the team house visits, the look at how we practice has been out has been done too much, and this type of in depth storytelling, going visiting the parents going to see to interview them and ask them how how they how they experienced the situation and how they have helped their their kid become this humongous superstar there isn't a there isn't a lot of that i think fans might be might be might appreciate that
0: all right so you know some fair points there um and i think that the other thing that we want to talk about are the teams that got to stay in the lcs so those teams are cloud nine team solo mid clg FlyQuest And who's the team that I'm missing right now?
1: Team, TSM, Cloud9, Team Liquid, CLG, and FlyQuest. Yes. That's five.
0: Yep. And I believe those are the ones that got to stay in. So which one of those to you was most surprising and which one of them was... I mean, what, what do you think about all of them?
1: So let's just go through the list. So I think TSM and Cloud9 and possibly Team Liquid as well were no-brainers for me.
0: We missed Echo Fox. We'll
1: get to that later. Yeah. But I think TSM, Cloud9, Team Liquid are no-brainers. They are these humongous brands. They're, they're doing financially really well. Um, even TSM, which until now has not gotten officially announced that they have an investor or anything, they were so sure that they would get in, in the league. They said, we're not even going to look for an investor until we get into the league because our valuation obviously then is a lot higher. CLG is... Kind of as it's not a surprise, but I think if they wouldn't have gotten the Madison Square Garden deal, they wouldn't have gotten in.
0: That's what Jacob said. Uh, the, uh, Madison Square Garden was basically, you know, their uh, night and shining armor in the ninth hour. Um,
1: yeah, particularly with the fact that they have uh, um, MSG hired, what's his name again? Nick, Nick Allen. Nick Allen, who used to work at Riot. So I think that definitely helped create a barrier of trust. Or and then finally, FlyQuest. It's not surprising because they have such a strong traditional kind of venture and sports team behind them. Uh, the Edens family and their, and their group, obviously, with the Milwaukee Bucks and, and, and their other venture capital investments.
0: Team Fortress? Or no, Fortress Investments, yeah.
1: Yeah. So they have, they have, been, they have been proven, they have showed dedication. Uh, it could have been them. It could have been Team Dignitas. Team Dignitas, fortunately, is out. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Team Dignitas and not FlyQuest, but I'm not surprised the fact that it's FlyQuest and not Team Dignitas.
0: Yeah, I think FlyQuest has um, done a really great job developing their brand over the past... You know, what is it? They've been in there for a year now, I think. Yeah,
1: and they're also doing... They have a Rocket League team.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the Dignitas has been in there for, you know, pretty much since the inception. But, you know, their returns... I just haven't I haven't seen that many Dignitas fans you know they kind of cycled out Cutie Pie they cycled out Scara. and you know those, those were the big personalities that you associated with the brand and since then I've had a really hard time finding somebody to follow from their roster
1: well, Dignitas has the backing but they do not have the brand
0: yeah no definitely um and then I think the other big news was that Echo Fox successfully defended their spot and um today was announced that they got a strategic investment from the yankees yes how do you feel about that so
1: first i'll talk about the fact that with the with the league spot echo fox Jay's hall and obviously rick fox are very have a very specific vision when it comes to their team they're looking at the esports team as a tool to grow a big esports business surrounding it they want to be there on all aspects and Vision Esports is kind of their, their project. Uh, together with um, like I i do not know Twin
0: Galaxies I believe is one and then they have Vision Entertainment, I think is their second yeah, one.
1: Yeah, so basically they're looking at it as Echo Fox is our team. That's gonna be our, our, our baby, our anchor. Then surrounding that we have Twin Galaxies, which is a tournament organizer. They also do record they also do uh, write records. Record keeping, But yeah. They're they're running the H one Z one Pro League. So they are a tournament organizer now as well, and then they have Vision and Vision uh, Entertainment, which really is focused on creating scripted and non-scripted content surrounding their personalities of Echo Fox and surrounding, arguably the H One Z One Pro League and the stuff that Twin Galaxies is doing. So they really want to get revenue from all sources. So I think you know Riot. It's surprising that they, that they got... It's not surprising that they kept in because they have such a good staff and a long-term vision. It's a bit surprising because I think Riot wants to be pretty defensive when it comes to the content surrounding uh, the NALCS. I think they want they want to own as much of it as possible, particularly because they have said before that they're going to offer some kind of premium viewing experience arguably where you get this type of content. And the fact that now they have a team with arguably the strongest content strategy long-term is pretty surprising.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to look at conspiracy theories and, you know, just explore that angle, I believe that TSM, Cloud9, Liquid, and CLG are all part of the PEA, which is the Professional Esports Association, Um, And I know that Echo Fox is not, or last I heard, they weren't. And I think from Riot's perspective is, you know, they don't want to only accept teams in the PEA because at that point, they're negotiating against a totally united front. So by putting in a partner who, you know, is, or putting in a, accepting a team that is not part of the organization helps Riot to maintain their, um you know leverage in negotiations. You know it doesn't totally swing it in the favor of the teams.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I'm just happy. I think for the future of the NALCS that Echo Fox is in there. I just want to end up this kind of big wrap up that we've been doing by posing you a question. So I posted a question on Twitter last this week. If we theorize and we say that the NALCS and the Overwatch League are a success, and the esports teams and traditional sports teams in that in those two leagues get a a a good chunk of roi is it too late for future esports teams that aren't in one of those two leagues to become serious contenders and become become the future tsms and the future cloud nines
0: sure um i'm gonna answer that with a very direct yes um for one, the NALCS, has, I believe, has gone on record saying that next year they're going to expand the NALCS to 12 teams. So there's two more guaranteed slots that are going to be, or two more promised slots that are going to be in the NALCS next year. Those are, you know, goals for other teams to aspire to. I think the OWL is interested in expanding um, the size of their league. They if, are very interested. Yeah, and if there's an ROI which is uh, from the, the OWL, then yeah, there's room over there as well. And I think that there are other publishers who, if they look at the model of the OWL and the NALCS, who can... Um, you know, expand their video games into those types of models. Um, I think Clash Royale is is definitely a huge potential. We haven't seen a huge esports success in mobile. Um, I think Rainbow Six has quietly been growing in the background, much to the surprise of many people. Um, you know, I think Counter-Strike, uh, Paladins, Dota 2, you know, they they're all opportunities. Those are much less regulated, but, you know, it's something more of like the, you know, the European Premier League.
1: Yeah, but I think you're going to get it, I think... In the future, when you get new franchised leagues you're gonna to get to a point, let's say the buy in will be a million dollars, it won't be ten million dollars. It's it's gonna be chump change for a successful NALCS franchise holder or successful Worlds League franchise holder, and it's gonna be the same type of money
0: It's going to be a ridiculous amount of money for
1: upcoming esports teams.
0: So what you're saying is that the price to build a successful esports team is going to grow from this point on. It's
1: going to grow tremendously.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I don't disagree. And I commend these people for jumping in early and being the first movers. And
1: and you can be be a great Call of Duty team, but the, the moment they start franchising, when the real money comes in and you need to pay to get in... Yeah. You know, it's Optic, obviously. But then the other teams are going to say, well, we'll just buy a... Uh, a team that doesn't have the money to get in anyways
0: no i mean if you look at the c- top call of duty teams a lot of them are uh, already part of large organizations i believe Splice is a call of duty team so it's yeah. kind of like you know they're the bruins you know the, the um, other professional sports teams have already been making inroads into other titles um but yeah so i think that's interesting and you know it's a nice little segue into our next topic um I think two more eSports teams were announced with heavy financial backing this week. And I know, Mo, you have some strong thoughts about one of them.
1: Yes, so TNL Media had the exclusive story that this team called Underworld raised. They said $10 million. They said it's a multi-million dollar investment, but they think it's $10 million. From the Kaplan, who is a co-owner of the Grizzlies, and Dr. Zahalski, who apparently is a winner or a or a current contender in survivor so i never heard of underworld before and and this is a weird hobby but a hobby of mine is to follow like third tier and fourth tier esports teams and to buy their jerseys just the same way as i do with soccer teams so i built that collection up so i do know of a lot of like random teams that only play in one title and i have their jersey somewhere but Apparently, this team—if I'm correct—they have the third best Gears of War team in South America, or something like that. They have, they're in a couple games. Gears is particularly their strongest. They are not a top contender in any way. And even if you would get a hundred percent of the company for ten million dollars, it's ridiculous overvaluation. If I can just be be honest, I think it it hurts the industry. The fact that. It, this was brokered by someone called Bill Yates of the Sports Advisory Group. I think it's a ridiculously over, it's ridiculously overpriced, and arguments have been made saying this is a brain buy. Well, if you are the fourth, if you are the fourth or third Gears of War team in, in South America, it isn't a it isn't a brain buy. Like this, these aren't these these aren't optic gaming that have built brands that millions of people follow. And with all due respect, I'm extremely happy for Underworlds. I mean, I hope they do really well with the money. So this is not a dig at them specifically. But the fact that these type of teams get this type of money shows me that there's a lot of dumb money coming into esports.
0: Yeah. So while Mo was on his rant, I pulled up the Underworld esports website. Um, You know, I think and I want to examine the story from a couple of different angles. Underworld has a Gears of War team, a Vainglory team, a Brawlhalla team and Call of Duty. Um, you know, at best these are tier 2 titles with maybe Call of Duty being a tier 1 and I don't know the the success of their um Call of Duty team. But I think that um you know, I think it's almost like an ES Force situation, right? So ES Force is a Russian conglomerate that that you know has ownership in teams like NaVi, um uh, Virtuous Pro and I believe SK Gaming and they came out with this giant announcement that you know we're gonna f- we're gonna invest $100 million into esports and I feel that this is kind of like the situation with the Grizzlies where it's you know maybe they have the deal of right of first refusal up to $10 million, and they're getting a much smaller portion of the actual money I like I find it hard to believe that there's a no strings attached $10 million check written out to these guys at Underworld Um, you know I don't know who they are. I don't know of their track record. I, I'm dubious of their teams. And um, I don't think that if you're a person who has $10 million to invest in esports, you're going to be... And with how much opportunity there is in the market right now, you're just going to give it away that easily.
1: Well, I doubt they're... With all the respect to Underworld, I wouldn't even consider them a three or three
0: team. I mean, like, we've just never heard of them. So until we know who they are, like, you know... Like, well,
1: I did some, some research... Yeah. And I mean, in Gears, they're, even if they're number one in Gears, even if they have a decent, because they don't have a top Call of Duty team, even if they have a decent Call of Duty team, even if they have the best Brawlhalla player, and they, have a, they're, they don't have a top 10 Vainglory team, because
0: I know all the top 10 teams. All right, let, let me pose the question to you then this way. Suppose you are the Grizzlies. And you ha- and you've uh, earmarked ten million dollars for investment into an esports team and developing an esports team. What would your strategy be?
1: I would either buy stake in a in a max a tier three team. So I t- a tier one is probably you're not going to get for ten million dollars. Tier two you probably will be able to get. If not tier three team, tier three I would be hesitant to. So who? What are those opportunities right now in the market? What are those? I think you have to look at
0: the at the
1: European teams.
0: Okay, so somebody like, you know, a, um, God, who am I thinking of, like, Rocket are they still a team?
1: Ninjas and Pajamas, for yeah. instance, on, uh, they just got an investment, but are arguably before those type of teams, the teams that are in the EU LCS right now that are looking for investment... Those are teams that have a proven track, that have a proven brand. Yeah. This team doesn't have any. Doesn't have anything. So
0: even like, like if you look at somebody like Ninjas and Pajamas, the market's gotten to the point where Ninjas and Pajamas reportedly only sold a fifteen percent stake for ten million. Suppose that this was a full out buy by Grizzlies, and you know, you know they're gonna they own this team in entirety. Is it worth it then? And if they spend the next three years to build it up into something great, it's not because you can you can buy with realistically.
1: Let's say it's a full-on buy for ten million dollars. I wouldn't give a million dollars for this team. You can give it for a. You, I'm I'm sure you can. You can build it. something from scratch. You can build something from scratch with ten million dollars. That is way better. You can you can. Buy all the top players in these teams, build your own brand for ten million dollars.
0: What if it's just their operating budget? What if they, like, you know, they they the, the money is, you know, their budget to build something from scratch and that's it. Like they didn't really buy anything. I mean that's what this deal feels like. Well then it's
1: it's the question, like, would you rather buy a team that hasn't reached to the top in any relevant esports title and the relevant esports title that they're playing in, they're at most a Contender for a decent place, would you rather buy a team that has, hasn't proven it can do any of those things, or use that ten million dollars, hire two or three people that have proven they can build that are not playing are not working for any of the teams anymore that have proven they can build these type of franchises and just say this is your, this is your this is your budget for the next five years. We want you to build a, a, an incre- a, a great franchise so I
0: th- that feels to me like the underworld deal.
1: Okay, I, d- I don't think they have proven anything.
0: No, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I it just, you know, they feel to me like Sliver TV. We're just beating up on them. And then next week, you know, they're going to come out with a headline. where. Like I said, I don't, I've been
1: beating on them now. I don't, I'm extremely happy for Underworld. And I hope, I really hope that they use this money to build an incredible franchise. And I hope I've been proving wrong. I am just, ex- I'm just extremely annoyed to say the least at the fact that this these type of these type of teams like the teams that are in this type of realm that don't have a fan a big fan base that are not contenders to win any relevant esports titles are getting this type of money.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, the market has reached a fever pitch. Yeah, and the, I think the other team that uh, was announced this week is one of the founders of StubHub uh, is going to build a Las Vegas based esports team. Um, You know, kind of a different announcement. He basically just said that he's going to build something from scratch. Um, You know, great to have more investors in the space. You know, probably a better headline than what we saw with Underworld. They signed a pretty good PUBG team, I think. Yeah, PUBG is a good good place to be in as well.
1: It's great, especially if you're looking to build something from scratch. You can take risks, players. Salaries obviously have gone up a lot in PUBG, but they're still nothing compared to major esports titles. Yep. So it's it's a it's a great risk you can take, and then another story that kind of piqued our interest. We haven't really gotten into any legal stories, but this story because these are two really big brands—one in traditional sports and one in esports—it was worthwhile to talk about it. So Adidas challenged ELeague's trademark. So. It basically relates to the fact that E League's E logo, there are three stripes, which basically make an E, and Adidas has been notoriously protective, uh, protective to say the least, of their three stripe logo. That's their. If you come close to a three stripe logo, you, you can get a, a you can get a trademark challenge. So their their first count alleges that the similarity, their similarity between two logos, there are about three broken lines, and their respective goods and services overlap or closely related traditional sports and esports. Also, Adidas mentioned in their, in their trademark uh, file that they're a, a sponsor of the FIFA Interactive World Cup. So, therefore, you know, they are in esports. And the second county is content that the similarity between the two brands will dilute the strength of, of Adidas' logo. Um, as a hallmark of authentic Adidas goods. So, in theory, you can buy a, a e league brand, you know, jersey with the e league logo on it, and that will lower the brand value of Adidas because it looks a lot like what Adidas would bring in.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that the only thing that this was similar to, not the only thing, but the thing that this was most similar to was the MLB. Uh, trademark infringement lawsuit against or claim against no, i don't think it ever went to a lawsuit against the owl because mm-hmm. their logos are very similar i know the mlb has been protective of, of their logo um i don't remember how that panned out but i feel like the current owl logo doesn't feel like it was changed that much i think you have a lawyer at adidas who's you know paid to do his job and from his perspective it's you know let's be safe than sorry i think the logo is like you know. From my non-legal perspective and minimalist design sense, I feel like the two logos are very different.
1: I'm not a law expert. I took two or three. I took three sports law classes for my masters. And the way you're looking at this, you're looking at this from a design perspective. That's yeah. completely not the way a lawyer looks at this. Yeah.
0: No. I mean, again, yeah. It's. I don't know. I feel like Turner is going to be big enough to uh, push I, it away.
1: I think this is just a show of muscle from Adidas. They have to say that if it's more of a fact that if they don't say anything then you know they're afraid of like a rolling effect they just have to you know flex their muscle elite might change their logo a little bit or or they might not even at all and it just means that the fact that if there's another brand that even wants to think about three stripes they will remember this story and they'll be, we, we want to be as far away from this as possible
0: yeah no i mean, i think that's fair um and then the last one uh, story that I think we want to talk about, this is also up your alley. Um, Deezer became a Fanatic's exclusive music streaming partner. Yeah. So why did you think this was interesting?
1: Because this is, as far as I know, a first in esports.
0: So yeah, I think uh, Deezer is interesting. I think that the other uh, provider in this space that's similar but a little bit different is uh, MonsterCat. Uh, Monster Cat has provided most of their catalog to Twitch streamers and to Mixer. And I know that a lot of uh, eSports tournaments utilize their um, catalog for productions. But this is the first time that I've seen um, a service come in exclusively for a team. I think the other interesting story with this is that there was an arcade skin Sona. I think what was it? It was a Sona skin for League of Legends. Mm -hmm. But depending on... uh, I think, what is it, like in the game of League of Legends, you could pick what music was played for every player if you had that skin. That's interesting. So I think that, you know, we've seen a couple of times that, you know, music is trying to figure out how to expand into the space. Um, but again, this is the first time that we've seen uh, a label... A streaming service. A, a streaming service, Deezer. Yeah. Deezer. Yeah, are... Partner up with a team.
1: Yeah, it's surprising. Esports and music, there's there's a lot of overlap EDM music is is always used in esports a lot, and that's good. I've, we see too many too many times we see a DJ actually intro an esports tournament. We should stop that. But there's a lot of opportunity for esports and music, particularly when it comes to partnerships. You know, getting people from getting fanatic fans to go to let's say Deezer, as we see in generally with trends towards esports, it's the challenger brands that are willing to take these type of risks. So it's not an Apple Music, Spotify, or title. It's Deezer that's doing this, and it's surprising the way how they activate it will be key. Yes. Will it just be official streaming partner of Fnatic, or will each Fnatic player have their own playlist on Deezer that relates
0: to what they talk about in their stream? And will the ROI even be significant enough to you know expand this deal?
1: Yeah. Well, I I think it's I think for probably this goes probably from these are experimental budget. Yeah. You know, they take risks with these type of things. I doubt it's a very big deal because it's it's not a big one of the big sponsorship categories. It's it's extra revenue for Fnatic. And Fnatic proves, you know, yet again that they're incredibly good at getting new type of sponsorships in the deal and thinking ahead. The fact that their Fnatic bunker, which they get you know, they host all these of events, they they're they they are Planning on building a co-working space for content creators and companies in the gaming and esports field. So this is, you know, this is right up there. How it's tech and sports and, e- and esports.
0: Yeah, you got a fanatic has to make up for for not making into the OWL. You know, it's, it's been a little uh, rough for them. But then the other one I think that's interesting to comment from the music angle is uh, Twitch had a really huge push into music about a year ago, and I've seen a little bit. Uh, like a f- I've seen fewer announcements in the past six months than I did 18 months ago. So if I had to read into that, you know, they went in there, they experimented with it, and then they decided that they wanted to uh, focus their en- energies elsewhere. I've seen T-Pain, you know, he's kind of become a streamer and, you know, that's a great way for him to activate with his audience. But I don't remember... You know as much promotion for a music festival like ultra as there was a year or two ago on twitch
1: yeah well too often a lot of these brands and kudos to twitch for trying it they think they can take esports fans like music therefore we can take this this concert we can stream it on twitch and it'll get you know great viewership because they like music where a t-pain approach is a lot more successful because t-pain is a great musician But he gets gaming. Yeah, he's
0: he's an entertaining
1: streamer. He's very entertaining. So he just happens to be an entertaining streamer. He can then obviously play his own music in the background. He can uh, ask people to buy his songs or do type of things. He can sell sponsorship deals for his stream. And that's a way to make revenue. So I think a better approach for Twitch, and they probably sure have tried this, is to go to major labels and to tell them, hey, let's sign partnership deals. Which one of your streamers... (laughs) Uh, which one of your, your, your singers you know, that's, that's building a buzz loves gaming and, and games two hours a day anyways, why not put them on Twitch twice a week and they can gain a, a massive following?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that just music labels are um, defending whatever ter- ter- territory they have left. And it's making negoti it's probably making negotiations with them a little bit harder. By the way, did you see that T Pain Connect Four video? No, that was a great one. So T Pain was live streaming. There was another major, I think, like Minecraft streamer that was on at the same time, and um, uh, his fan base went into T Pain's uh, chat room and started talking crap to T Pain, and then T Pain's just, and then T Pain's fans went into the, the Minecraft streamers. Um, chat room started talking crap. And this was not either T-Pain or the streamer talking crap to each other. It's just the fan base wanted them to to fight. And they played like a Connect Four game. It was honestly one of the mo- most hilarious videos I've seen like in the past month or two.
1: Well, yeah. And I think underrated. And it was authentic. Yeah, underrated. It only works when these streamers are actually authentic. It doesn't work if you, oh, you know, people are on Twitch. Let's go on Twitch and stream. And I don't really know games and I don't get it. I don't want to put in... 50 hours into overwatch before before i stream because i you know t-pain just likes overwatch so he'll stream overwatch yeah and it plus it helps for me personally that he's one of my favorite artists uh so the fact that i can see this type of artist go and proudly proclaim that he's a gamer and he loves esports is 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 only going to there's only going to be more of that in the future
0: definitely so i think this was a pretty good episode um mo i think that and it covers most of the topics i wanted to hit on is there anything else you want to
1: no but as as always um it's in, we said it last time but please uh leave a review or rate us on itunes it really helps a lot uh i've heard the good news starting next week we'll be on google play Woo! you can find us on stitcher you can find us on blog talk radio And where can people follow you on Twitter, Anton?
0: Uh, You guys can find me on Twitter at JokerCan'tSpell. And Mo, where can people find you? You can find me on
1: M-R-E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.